Hey friends, welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast during this season of Advent. My name is Steve Weens, and I'm a pastor and an author, but I'm also a Transforming Community alumnus from way back in 2011. As always, I'm alongside Transforming Center founder and my dear friend, Ruth Haley Barton, as we explore the themes of Advent as a season of transformation, in which we invite the presence of Christ's light into the darkness. We'd like to invite you to consider using these episodes as spiritual practices during the season of Advent. So maybe consider lighting a candle and listening to them in a quiet place in your home instead of listening while driving or exercising. You might also consider listening to each week's scripture passages daily, even after you've listened to the content of each episode. If you'd like to listen to an audio file of the scriptures only for each of the weeks of Advent, simply go to the episode notes and find the link. Lastly, we hope you'll head on over to transformingcenter.org patron and consider becoming a patron of our podcast. If you do so at any level, you'll receive a free download of the Reflections for Cycle B for Advent so you can follow along as we have our conversations in each episode. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's episode. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Psalm 96 O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. 
the world is firmly established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar, and all that fills it. Let the field exult, and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-controlled, upright, and godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and the manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He it is who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 and 15 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in bands of cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. 
Welcome everybody to the Christmas Tide episode. We're moving from Advent uh, into Christmas Tide. So, Ruth, uh, talk to us about this movement. What happens in Christmas Tide? What are we celebrating? When does well, Advent end? Yeah, well, <laughs> all those things. Sometime in the night on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, I don't have the exact hour, but I think when Santa but, comes, right? Is yeah, that, is that right? When? It's when Santa comes. That's exactly <laughs> when Advent ends. <laughs> Uh, Advent ends with the coming of Jesus. And so sometime uh, in the night on Christmas Eve and before Christmas morning, Advent ends signaling the beginning of the Feast of the Nativity. And, you know, for us as Protestants, we often just think about Christmas Day and that's it. But in our Christian tradition, Christmas Eve actually signals the beginning of a whole season of celebration called Christmas Tide. It's a celebration of God with us. And so Advent comes to a close, and hopefully we have a sense that it's culminating in the birth of Jesus, God with us in the flesh. And the celebration of Christmas tide will continue for 12 more days until the Feast of the Epiphany, which is when the showing forth. Um, that's the time when, you know, traditionally the shepherds come and um, the wise men come, and there's this showing forth of the presence of Christ in our ordinary lives. So during these days, as we move into Christmas tide through the doorway of Christmas Eve, we celebrate one of the great mysteries of our faith. And what I mean by mystery is that it's something that we cannot fully understand and grasp as human beings, right? And the scriptures are clear that our, our faith and our belief is full of mystery, things that we cannot understand humanly, but that are still deeply true. And one of the great mysteries of our faith is that humanity and divinity become one in the person of Jesus Christ. And early church theologians stress the fact that the incarnation should not be seen as God descending into human form, but that it's actually the lifting up of humanity into the divine life. And so the incarnation makes it possible for us to consider how do we celebrate our own incarnational journeys, not just the presence of Jesus in a physical body, but also be aware that we're taking the same journey Jesus did. Teilhard de Chardin said that we're not spiritual beings or human beings trying to become spiritual. We're spiritual beings trying to become human. We're on an incarnational journey too, and Jesus shows us how to do it. And so the fact that the nativity takes place in such a simple, earthy scene the fact that there were no trappings and trimmings and everything that we've made Christmas to be, the fact that there was no good place for the baby to come and be born into, um, the fact that Mary and Joseph were not even surrounded by their own family. They were surrounded and joined by strangers, um, and yet still the presence of Jesus shone through in those earthy, ordinary moments. And that's actually a signal of how we can see our own lives as human beings on this earth is that we're taking that incarnational journey as well, learning um, how to move from just being spiritual and heady to being very human and glorifying God in and through our humanity, which is what Jesus did. So there's a lot in this movement from Advent and into the Christmas tide season. Ugh. You know, I hadn't ever heard this bit about the early church theologians uh, stress that the incarnation shouldn't be seen as a condescension or a God descending, uh, you know, becoming dirty, <laughs> becoming mm. human, but as lifting up humanity into divine life. Mm. 
I had never read that or heard that before, Ruth. That is so powerful to me. Like that evokes images of, uh, you know, honor and dignity and celebration mm -hmm. and being caught up in mystery. You know, how do you describe that? Yeah. Uh, that is gorgeous. Um, thank you for that. Wow. Doesn't it show how much we miss when we, you know, in our own theological constructs, you know, that yes. the worm theology and everything else and that, you know, yes. God um, deigned to come yeah. in the form and, and yet the human form is God's creation. So I don't think there's any deigning in that. Do you? Because God no. created this in us. So why would that be deigning to, you know, come down and become human? I, I agree. And this, this just turns some of our theology onto its ear. You know, yeah, doesn't it? It really does. Yes. And again, like I, I am sort of sitting here shocked. Like, I think that is, I mean, that is what I think, but I had no idea, you know, so oftentimes you think we come into new ways of thinking, you know, the old folks didn't know, but no early church theologians had it right, you know, and we need to remember, like remember, yeah. put ourselves back together mm -hmm. in that, which is beautiful and, and true and good. And it, it gives me a vision for incarnation and in, in, incarnational life yeah. that is very hopeful and that right. can transcend some of the darkness of our time, mm -hmm. frankly, yeah. you know, because when, when God lifts humanity up into divine life, God is not just lifting up the best parts of humanity into divine life, all of humanity, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the, the hard parts, the darkness, the good, the, the bad and the ugly, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And that is powerful to me. Uh, what, what, yeah, go. Well, you know, one of the things that our Christian tradition challenges me with, like we are Christians, but we live in the midst of secular culture, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we are in this world, but not of it, hopefully. And yet I am of it because mm -hmm. our Christian tradition gives us, um, traditions, if you will, that are very hard to actually practice in our secular culture. And one of those is this celebration of Christmas tide for 12 days. I know that for me, you know, Christmas in the secular way of celebrating it has never been my favorite, you know, as I think for the females of the species, those of us who care for our homes and our children, I mean, there's a weight and a burden on women in particular, because we're the ones that buy the gifts usually and do all the decorating and do all the cooking. And I tell you, I don't look forward to it because I already have a really full life. And then you load all the expectations of culture of our culture mm -hmm. that gets loaded onto women. And then I've got that going too. And I, it's just hard. Um, and so by the time I get to Christmas day, once it's over with, I really want it to be over. Like yeah. I can't wait usually to get the stuff out of the house and yep. to get myself back to, to the normal. And yep. I hope I'm not offending anybody, but this is just my experience. Um, it's just been this way for a long time for me. Um, so I put the celebration away like on mm -hmm. December 26th. Yeah. Whereas yeah. our Christian tradition says, no, one day is not enough to celebrate the wonder of God becoming flesh in Christ. And uh, one day is not enough to reflect on all the ways in which Jesus incarnation elevates human experience. We need 12 days to do that. We need all the way till Epiphany. But I'm stuck in a secular culture that, you know, loads all sorts of expectation onto all of us through the season so, so that I'm exhausted. And when it's all over and I don't want to to lean into that part of the celebration. And I feel sad about that because it is a beautiful thing to really reflect intentionally on all the ways in which the person in the presence of Jesus is, you know, shown forth in those days yeah. and how Jesus life elevates our own human existence and makes 
each aspect of our humanity a place of spiritual possibility, a place where we can meet and know Jesus. And so I find myself filled with longing myself as I look at our Christian tradition and what it's trying to serve up in the midst of the excesses of, of our secular culture. Oh, uh, yes. I'm just being well, honest here, Steve. I'm telling no, you how I, I really feel about Christmas. I, I think I, I think you're right in the money, frankly. And I do think even in 2020, mm -hmm. let's be honest, most of the work and effort of, of holidays still falls onto females. And certainly that's not true for every single person, but I think it's in general, it's true. Mm -hmm. And that there's a tremendous amount of pressure to mm -hmm. have the experience and everyone's, right. mm -hmm. you know, looking for that experience. And I, I just makes me wonder like, what are the restful celebratory experiences that maybe we can lean into during Christmas tide? even if we do some cleaning up on the, on the 26th, you know, even if we get those wrappers off the floor, like what are yeah. some good, healthy uh, experiences and practices that we can engage with, with other people that celebrates the incarnation? I think one thing that could be a lovely exercise would be what about if every day, you know, <clears throat> of the Christmas tide season, we look at an aspect of our human existence and wonder together how we can meet God there, you know, yes. like an ordinary moment of our human yeah. existence and wonder together how we can meet God there or remember a time when God did meet us mm -hmm. in an amazing way and something that was really, really ordinary to see it as the season for finding God in the ordinary, you know, mm -hmm. finding God in the human. Mm. Um, I think that could be so exciting and life giving, you know, um, and give us a vision for even how to do the next year, you know, finding God in every single aspect of our ordinary life versus looking for all the bells and whistles, you know, God to show up in bells and whistles all the time. So I, I think that's one practice. Finding God in the ordinary is, could be a really good practice for that 12 days. I really like that one. Cause even if you set an intention mm -hmm. to do that by yourself or with whomever you live with, then your antenna goes up, you know, like, hey, we're going to talk about this at dinner. Yeah, let's let's look. Let's mm -hmm. look for some of the ordinary ways that yeah. that God might. It could also through. be a conversation for spiritual friends. You know, right. I think of those who perhaps live alone or don't have family. But if you have a spiritual friend that you talk to regularly, that could be a source of conversation among spiritual friends. Is this whole idea of how can we recognize God's presence in the ordinary? And how can we heighten our awareness of God's presence in the ordinary? Yeah. When, when did I see, when did I have a God sighting, you know, mm -hmm. in the midst of my ordinary life? Yeah. And that might be something as simple as noticing something in nature and just stopping and appreciating the beauty of creation. It might be as something simple as enjoying a sip of coffee, you know, mm -hmm uh enjoying a quiet moment if you typically are in a loud house mm -hmm. which we are right now with mm -hmm. ruth we have three teenage boys now i, I mean I, there's boys. no space big enough for all that testosterone i am sure there isn't it's so loud and so you <laughs> added know. to yours also, of course mm -hmm. it, it's it's also so funny i mean they yeah. are so funny and so that's even yeah. sometimes what what i their god moments and their hilariousness yeah um but even that is a way of saying like, how can I transform what can feel like a pretty loud, chaotic, never ending, um, ordeal mm -hmm. <laughs> into a God sighting, you know, right, right. um, in my own life there. Ah, oh, I love it.
Well, Ruth, we've been talking about finding God in the ordinary. It occurs to me that this Christmas is going to be anything but ordinary, Mm -hmm. you know? And so how do we, maybe how do we pursue finding God in the not ordinary Mm -hmm. Christmas in the time of COVID? Yeah. You know, one of the things that comes to my mind immediately is the practice of acceptance. That we are going to have to deeply accept some things this season for all sorts of reasons. And um, our holiday celebrations probably for most of us cannot and should not look the same. I mean, there are recommendations that families not gather in some cases um, as a way of keeping each other safe. And um, I actually think that there's an opportunity for us to separate out our traditions from the meaning of Christmas itself. So even if our family doesn't gather the way that it's done all the years, does that mean that the meaning of Christmas is any different? No. And so can we drop down deeper into the real meaning of Christmas, even if the trappings and the normal celebrations just are not possible this year? Um, you know, Richard Rohr has a prayer phrase that I've loved for many, many years. It's, it's humble me in the presence of reality. Oof. And for me, humble me and humble us in the presence of this reality, this pandemic reality. Um, one of the things you keep hearing is from the governors and stuff is that people are tired of this and they want to be done with it. But the truth is it's not done with us. Right. And so we're not being humbled in the presence of reality. If we say right now, I'm done with COVID, I'm not paying any attention to it anymore. That's the worst possible thing you could do at this right. point because it's right. not reality. Right. So acceptance and humbling ourselves in the midst of this reality, accepting some of the differences and some of the changes. And then the other thing I think most people, most families are made up of people who have differing opinions about what to do about COVID. Uh, Differing, uh, you know, opinions about whether you should gather and what, whether to wear masks and stuff like that. I think it's a season to cultivate profound respect for each other and our own sense of agency and choice. Um, where we let people make the choices that they feel comfortable with, even if it's detrimental to us and our sense of how we'd like things to go. But there's respect and also a deep level of consideration for people's fear, for their anxiety, for their physical limitations, if they've got underlying um, issues that make them more, you know, more susceptible to this disease. Can we just pour love all over that? rather than judging each other and dismissing each other and diminishing each other. I just pray that God would give us the grace. Yes, that God would give us the grace to love each other through letting each other make the choices we need to make and also making the wise choices ourselves, like the wearing of a mask. You know, we were, we did a virtual retreat this last weekend and there were points when I wasn't wearing a mask because I was speaking and typically you don't make the speaker wear a mask. And then sometimes I wouldn't have it with me and I'd have to get to some place where a mask was before I put one on. And everything in me didn't want to put the mask back on. And at first I thought, I was thinking, well, I need to keep myself safe. And I thought, no, the putting off on of a mask is not about my own safety. It is a concrete expression of my love for the people that I'm with to put on the mask because it's meant to keep germs from them. And their wearing of a mask is meant to keep germs from them to me. And so to think about the mask as being more than just a political statement or or a place of personal preference, but that it's a place of showing love and regard for other humanity. Wow. I mean, that elevates, talk about human, right? Talk about finding God and finding meaning and um, finding a way to love in the midst of this ordinary, this unordinary ordinary. 
Um, I think those are some things that would be very God honoring if we could work with those kinds of practices, people practices. Do you have anything for us, Steve? You always have great ideas too. Well, you know, this is uh, less tangible, but, but it's finding a way to hold on to hope. You mm -hmm. talked earlier in an earlier episode about the temptation to fall prey to cynicism. And I think when hope gets deferred and when we are forced into doing things we would rather not do, or we can't do the things we would rather do, hope is one of the first things to go. And uh, you mentioned Richard Rohr in one of his recent emails, he quotes Thomas Merton about hope. And this is from No Man is an Island. So I'll just read this short quote. Merton writes, we do not hope for what we have. Therefore, to live in hope is to live in poverty, having nothing. And then he says this, hope is proportionate to detachment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it brings our souls into the state of the most perfect detachment. In doing so, it restores all values by setting them in the right order. Hope empties our hands in order that we may work with them. It shows us that we have something to work for, and it teaches us how to work for it. So this idea, hope is proportionate to detachment, is I think how I would say it is a way of saying hope is actually sitting with the emptiness of unmet longings mm -hmm. and waiting for that bigger or more substantive thing to show up. And if we don't, you know, we don't acknowledge the poverty, if we just sit there and numb it out by being angry or cynical, then I wonder if the real good work of holding out hope uh, will not grow in us, you know? And I think we need hope. We need hope these days. We need hopeful people, but it's not going to be by getting what we want. <laughs> you know, if we're only hopeful for, if we get what we want, that's, that's what he says. Hope is not, you know, we don't hope in what we have. Um, so that's what I would say. Find ways to cultivate hope by detaching from our preferred, re, you know, ways of doing things for a season. It won't be forever. Well, for and you season. know, I I hope every year for more simplicity around Christmas. And I know that the COVID season has caused us in the Transforming Center to really have to um, cut back and simplify some things. But I wonder if really this year we could also think about simplicity and could we allow the season that we're in to to guide us very naturally into simplicity because we shouldn't be out in the stores shopping no. with people. Um, no. Is there is there any way that we could let this season naturally help us simplify the season? I hope we can. I, I hope that for myself and for others. I think that's an invitation. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do. do. I do. Well, how uh, Ruth, how would you like to, to end this episode? Well, I have a poem that I want to share, and we use this poem in our eighth retreat, no, in our fifth retreat in Transforming Community when we do a whole retreat on the body, where we actually do talk about our physical humanity and the experiences that we have in our bodies and how those are elevated in our Christian understanding of the incarnation. And so this is a poem that we share on that retreat, and I'm going to share it all with you. And it's it's um, it's a little bit out there, and yet that's part of what makes it so wonderful. You're going to hear some words here that you don't usually hear on this podcast, um, but it's called Good is the Flesh by Brian Wren. And please do uh, light your candle, feet flat on the floor, open your hands as a way of 
uh, hoping and opening to hope, the way Steve put it, receiving something from God that's hopeful in these moments. And also, um, in particular, experience yourself as a, as a body, as a living, breathing, feeling body right now. You are a creature in the presence of your creator and let yourself just feel the goodness of that and how God wants to be with you now in the temple that he has made. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Good is the birthing, the milk and the breast. Good is the feeding, caressing and rest. Good is the body for knowing the world. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Good is the body for knowing the world, sensing the sunlight, the tug of the ground, feeling, perceiving within and around. Good is the body from cradle to grave. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Good is the body from cradle to grave, growing and aging, arousing, impaired, happy in clothing or lovingly bared. Good is the pleasure of God in our flesh. Good is the flesh that the word has become. Good is the pleasure of God in our flesh, longing in all as in Jesus to dwell, glad of embracing and tasting and smell. Good is the body for good and for God. Good is the flesh that the word has become. And so in the silence, feel the goodness of your own flesh and feel the goodness of the word made flesh for us in this season.
Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Communities Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can explore the next Transforming Community by visiting transformingcenter.org slash transformingcommunity. The music on this episode comes from a recording produced by the Transforming Center called Advent, Music and Solitude. The scriptures on this week's episode were read by Mary Martin Weens. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review wherever you listen. And please also consider supporting us by becoming a patron by visiting transformingcenter.org slash patron.